yeah, we, we have power in our voice and our actions and our vote, but the real power on a daily basis is in your dollar. If we don't know what we're doing with our money and we just, every two weeks we get paid and we give it to Nike or we give it to, you know, whoever our landlord is and we live check to check or Sally Mae, we're never going to really touch and get in touch with our power. Hey y'all, you are listening to The Spiritual Homegirl, where we discuss all things concerning self-development and bettering our spirit, but from the homie perspective. Somebody that's going through the journey day by day, just like you. Hey y'all, it's your girl Maria, the Spiritual Homegirl, and we are back with another episode of the Spiritual Homegirl podcast. Now, for those who listen, thank you so much. A quick note of gratitude as I usually do. Out of all of the tens of thousands of podcasts that are in podcast land, you listen to mine, and I really appreciate that. I mean, I'm really excited to switch it up this time around. We talked about what death has taught me about living. We talked about, um, you know, getting your stuff together for the new year. But in line with that, this interview this week is with financial advisor, author, as well as entrepreneur, Shannon Dowda. And it's really cool because we both went to the same school. We went to Georgia Southern University, the real GSU, um, since 1906. Last year, he was awarded the 40 Under 40 alumni for his university, which was Georgia Southern, um, as well as 40 Under 40 Muslims of Georgia. And not only has he paid off over $20,000 worth of personal debt in less than a year, he's also helped his people pay off over a million dollars worth of debt. He's also a member of Alpha Phi Alpha um, Fraternity Incorporated. He's also a part of the GSU College of Business Young Alumni Board of Directors in Camp Horizon, and he is still at home here in Atlanta. And he's also a certified public accountant, so this man knows his stuff. You hear me? So we're basically talking about his journey through um, how he found finance and how he found this to be a passion of his and not only a paycheck. And we talk about his brand, which is Paychecks to Power, how that grew from just being a book to an entire financial um, coaching uh, platform as well as the 31-Day Financial Detox. It's a free program um, that is designed to help people get their stuff together for the new year. I thought this was interesting, and that's actually what made me want to interview him. Um, I see him around, and, you know, I was like, okay, cool, you know, financial advisor. But this concept was something I had never seen before, and I thought that it would be really cool to have him come on the show and explain to us the importance of a financial detox for the new year and how we can take advantage and um, get our stuff together and clean our house. I know we talk a lot about, you know, taking a break from social media, not eating certain foods, getting more in the gym, but I don't remember seeing anything that was relevant to finances when it came to detoxing and getting your affairs in order for the new year. So I'm super excited to uh, present to you all this week's interview with Shannon Dowda. All right, it's your girl Maria, the spiritual homegirl, and I'm speaking with Shannon Dowda. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am great. So let's get right into it. For those who do not know, who is Shannon Dowda? Uh, so Shannon Dowda, that's an interesting question. Um, born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Grady baby. I'm proud of that. Uh, my family, though, is originally from Ghana, so I'm first generation born in the United States. And I'm a kid that grew up on the block, and my mom was always like, oh, you're going to go to school and be a doctor, this, that, and the third. And I was like, no, mom, I'm not going to be a doctor. Um, it's, it's, there's an African or even like a child of immigrants. People always want you to be like, you know, some kind of a doctor, lawyer, engineer. And I'm like, no, nah, I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to go to school for a long time. 
what I did notice though is that I really, really like math. That was my favorite subject growing up, and I like people. And and then like in high school, which is kind of crazy, I was seventeen or sixteen or seventeen. I made like I outwardly said that I wanted to become the chief financial officer of Microsoft. Oh. So when I went to college, it only seemed fitting to go study finance. I'll become the chief financial officer of Microsoft. Now, am I that? No, but I'm glad I went down that route because. Now here I am teaching people about money, the behaviors behind it, the deep-rooted things that cause them to spend money the way they do. So it's awesome. Well, I mean, if we're going to talk about being, what, the next, what, Bill Gates, basically? <laughs> I mean, you're the right, CEO the next financial of, Bill Gates. <laughs> I know, seriously. Like, you're like the CEO of Paychecks to Power, right? Right, right, true, true. So what is Paychecks to Power, for those who don't know? Um, so from paychecks to power, what it started, you know, it's interesting. It really started out as just as a, as a um, I used to teach seminars. And the seminars, of course, I could get people who were here in Atlanta. But when it came to the national scope, some people would, you know, they'd stream in or whatever. But it never, I couldn't reach everybody. And everybody couldn't afford to work with me one-on-one. But when you're working with someone as your personal coach, so I'm like a personal trainer for people's money. It just, you know, it's not fits in everybody's budget. So I was like, hey. Um, my best friend literally told me, like, hey, man, you've been doing these seminars for a little bit. You uh, you probably should look at writing a book. And I was like, what? That's a great idea. But, you know, what's crazy, though, is I'm the same kid that almost spelled 12th grade English. So when he said write a book, I was like, me? Write a book? Are you serious? <laughs> 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 and then, but after, it marinated for a while. I didn't just sit down and start writing a book. It marinated for a while. But after doing these seminars, I had built an outline. And at that point, it was like, huh. I could really do this. So I built the outline, used my seminar presentation, wrote the book, and the book at that point didn't have a title, right? And then at some point the title from Paychecks to Power came out of nowhere, and boom, now literally this is the whole movement, like helping people literally go from living paycheck to paycheck or earning a paycheck as a job and using that money that they earn to instill within themselves a sense of power, purpose, and dignity when they go to work so they can transition from the everyday job to starting their business or doing what they, what it is that they love or even changing that career. Well, let me go backwards to you being expected to be a doctor or a lawyer or engineer. Did you ever feel any kind of pressure or uncertainty of maybe disappointing your parents? Definitely felt pressure from the pressure of education. My mom was real big on education, which I'm glad she was because at some point I kind of woke up and started taking my education seriously. I don't think it was till like, the sixth grade when I really started, like, paying attention in school. But um, she was always about, like, um, her dad was very, you know, supportive of education. And, like, whenever she would go to whenever she would go to her dad or her siblings would go to the, her dad, which was my grandfather, for, you know, any cost that related to school, he would give it to them because school was so important. He didn't even question it, right? And so she always used that as an example, like, education is important and serious, like, Whatever you need for school, you can come to me and your dad. We're going to take care of you, you know. And she also always said this, like, I don't care what happens in this world. They can't take your education away from you. And so she would always make sure that, you know, that I was educated enough to, you know, have some kind of sense and wisdom and skills to really take myself to the next level, which I'm grateful for. When you're, you know, a kid, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, whatever, and even in high school, you're not really thinking about, like, how important your education and knowledge that's in my head is. But, um, yeah, it definitely was the pressure that I felt there. But in terms of disappointment, I guess once I told them that 
I was going to go study finance and maybe, you know, get into accounting or become a CPA, they were kind of okay with that because it was, all right, that's a good, that's a job where you're going to make some kind of money. You're not going to be broke and struggling. So I want to ask a, a quick question about your own journey. Um, you were saying that you yes. want to empower people and that's great when it comes to finances. Now I understand you paid off $26,000 in debt in less than a year. Is that right? Right. So what were some personal things that you did to knock that debt out? What was the exact time frame of you paying off the $26,000? Um, so to pay off the $26,000, uh, it took me about 11 months. And people here, they're like, what? Like, how did you do that? Like, um, honestly, it was the first and for- foremost thing that I tell anybody, even people who want to, who are interested in working with me, I'm like, listen, you have to be really sick and tired of being broke. Like, I can't help you until you get to the point where you're just like, I'm tired of being in this position. I'm tired of owning people money. I'm tired that I can't leave my job and go start the career or work at that nonprofit that I want to do because I have to rely on this salary in order to live. Or you have to get to a point where you just get sick of it, right? And it's just like if you want to take it from a, um, a weight training perspective the same way, when people kind of feel like they've been out of shape for a while and they get sick of it, that's when they finally step in the gym. Or somebody's in a relationship that's not doing them a service, when they get sick of it, they finally step out of that relationship, right? So you just have to get sick of it. And for me, that was what happened. I got sick of it, um, started reading books, started doing a budget, and the budget was key because I saw how much money was going out on towards debt. Like, let's say if I made $2,000 a month, I made less than that when I first started out of college. But I would say easily maybe 50% of my expenses were going towards the debt. I was like, if I didn't have all this debt, I would have money. And at that point, that's when it really started making sense. Plus, I had two coworkers who kind of introduced me to the idea because they were older, married, and they introduced me to the idea of living a life of being debt-free and getting my money out in order now while I was fresh out of college. But, you know, being a young college kid, I was just kind of like, ah, you guys are just too, you know, old guys who are married trying to rain on a young bastard's parade, let me YOLO it out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest thing that actually propelled me, because it would have taken me two to three years to pay off all that debt, to be honest. But when I decided to do better, is it was as if, you know, God and life were like, okay, you want to do better? Here's your opportunity. So that's the job I was working at, all of a sudden they had a major project they were working on, and it was unlimited overtime. I could have easily been like, no, nah, I'm not going to work all these hours and kind of just take my time two to three years. But the overtime opportunity allowed me to pay off that $26,000 in 11 months versus two to three years. So that changed the whole game for me. So it's kind of interesting. Once you kind of take the step forward, it's as if life rewards you. and like, all right, if you're really serious about it, here's your opportunity to make more money, but it's going to require more sacrifice. I see. Um, so was it personal debt and student loans or a mix of both or – um, it was a mix of both. Both. So in there you had, um, I had a Honda Civic in, that was in there. I had, my student loans weren't too much. I want to say they were around like maybe 12000 The Honda Civic was like another ten, And then I had like loans from the bank. I took out a loan to take the CPA exam. Yeah, it was just crazy. Yeah, I definitely took out, I had a loan from Best Buy in there somewhere. I bought a TV because it was the Super Bowl. Yeah, I was, I was being a little reckless because I deserved a new TV for the Super Bowl. <laughs> that is good, though. I mean, paying that all that stuff off in 11 months, I'm pretty sure a lot of us can relate to your issue of being sick and tired, whether it's student loans, whether it's credit card debt, whether it's loaning people money that's not going to pay you back, whether it's unnecessary purchase, some folks keeping that with folks right. on the gram. So I think it's really good to um, see a realistic 
point of view of it being done. Like, it's it's possible to pay your debt off. You just got to damn focus. <laughs> right. Well, thank you for that. The sacrificing and eating out, eating lunch at, going out to eat lunch at work. Um, naturally, that was kind of easier for me because my family was a family where we always had home-cooked meals, but we would eat out of special occasions, right? So, like, that wasn't the hard part for me. I guess the hard part for me was not buying things that I wanted, which would be like if if I wanted to get a new computer, if I needed some new shoes, whatever else. Um, I'm definitely a shoe junkie, even when it comes to working out. Like, I'm I'm going to be working out in the flyest kicks that I can find, right? So it's just <laughs> very <laughs> – so, like, there's just different struggles, right? Like, I was in Savannah at the time. My family's in Atlanta. Most of my friends are in Atlanta. So I would limit how much I came to Atlanta to save on gas and do all this stuff. So, um, and that's another point. I would say the timing was perfect because I was in Savannah, and being isolated in Savannah forced me to kind of take care of myself right there. Like, get, it was a perfect time to get my finances in order. Um, start reading and growing as a person before I came back to Atlanta. And, you know, I could have easily been, like, you know, caught up in the trying to keep up with the Joneses. Everybody's buying a car. I need to go buy a car. Everybody's getting a house. I need to get a house, right? That could have definitely threw me off course, but I was in Savannah by myself focusing on that stuff. So, yeah, definitely cutting back on uh, coming to Atlanta, hanging out with friends who were here in Atlanta. Um but I definitely spent a lot of time reading, too. So that also helped me with my personal growth as well as my financial growth. So it's, I guess it's a combination of the right mindset and the right time. Right, right. And the biggest thing is, I guess, being aware of your situation, right? Like a lot of us will, like, so, uh, for example, I ha- might have a client who came to me recently. Like, yeah, I just got a promotion. I'm making $20,000 more than I was before. Like, that's a sign right there. Like, hey, you just had this huge income. You're already looking to kind of get out of debt increase, and now it's time to really take that into effect if you're serious about it. If you're not, then that money's just going to end up being spent on something else. You know what? Speaking of clients, what are some habits that you've seen with millennial clients that um, that have been issues in terms of spending habits? Hmm. I would say some issues in terms of spending habits. Probably the number one area that kills millennials financially, um, most people would think it's like student loans. That's like when it comes to your net worth, definitely student loans and why people have like negative net worths. But the biggest thing in terms of spending money on a regular basis, like how they spend their check, uh, the first thing that I would say is the biggest area is restaurants, man, food. Like that is killing um, millennials. Most of us, I guess, aren't as savvy in the kitchen and most of us like convenience because we grew up in the era of the microwave and instant, you know, hot pockets and all this other stuff. So like we just like the food to be ready right now. And so like we don't have the time that we don't have the time to go cook or do whatever else. So because of that, it causes um, a lot of trouble financially. And then I said the second thing that I've seen is um, it's a tie between, hmm, it's a tie between cars being the car, car payment every month or um, where they live. Because, like, a lot of millennials, we like to live in the city. We want to be where everything is popping. But because of that, it's going to cost a lot more money, right? And so that's always been kind of like a, a spending habit. So it's usually food or where they live. That's the biggest thing. You know, expound on your point about food. I think that, I mean, would you include Postmates in that same equation? Because it's so easy 
All you have to do is just order and click, and next thing you know, you have, you know, food on your way to your house. Like, do you think that's included? Would you include that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Postmates definitely in there. I mean, you could have it to the point where the whole click and order process makes it even worse when it comes to, like, food because, like, it's so easy to access it. Same thing, like, I have so many people who have told me, like, Amazon is their kryptonite because they keep on, they just go in there and shop, get it, and they order it and get it in two days, right? Like, yeah. so quick and easy access, like, it just is ruining. The the instant, I guess, gratification is, like, ruining a lot of our finances as millennials. Okay, so how can people fix this? Fixing the instant gratification part, man, that, that, that part is tough because, it requires a level of discipline, um, and most people don't have it off the top. But I would say it just takes time of constantly, like, one, the first thing I'd say, establish some boundaries to protect yourself. Uh, so that means, like, let's say, for example, if you know Amazon is your weakness or Postmate is your weakness, then maybe you don't have an account or maybe you 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 buy you put some money on a like a secure card or on a gift card and you only use that money so you don't overspend. But if it's linked to your bank account, you might have some trouble, right? Um, the next thing I would say is get yourself an accountability partner. That's why most people hire me is because I'm like their accountability partner when it comes to their finances. But if you have a best friend or somebody that you feel like is really good with money and can keep you accountable, use them too. Like you say that you're gonna. Um, stop spending going out to eat as much and you need this person to help you do that, then let them know, right? But um, the instant gratification part, is it's it's challenging because it requires discipline and a lot of spiritual reflection. Like you have to really decide that I want to be better than what I'm doing right now. Otherwise, you're going to slip right back into it. Again, that ties to the whole sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? Because that requires change. It requires a deep-rooted change that's within you, right? It's the same thing with someone who's trying to lose weight. In order for them to get to the point where they're in shape and healthy, it's going to require a deep-rooted change to get there. Like their old life is going to look like the life that they don't want anymore once they get to where they want to be. You know, I totally agree with you on that. I think if you keep, I think it's really um, a test of strength in terms of being like, okay, I'm going to change my life and do something I've never done before or something that appears to be unknown. But it's really dope once you start seeing the results of, doing better and doing things more smarter. It's it's a slow it's a slow process and I feel you hundred and ten percent about the instant gratification because we're so used to things being done our way and quickly and eliminating debt, even with it being an eleven month process, that was still an eleven month process. That wasn't something that happened in ninety days or six months. You know what I mean? And and I can only right. imagine all of the actual sacrifices you made and that, and it wasn't easy either, I would think. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Like, I, I mean, there were times where I was working um, between 50, at some points as high as almost 70 hours a week trying to get this, my income up. Like, yeah, like, and, like, so I, I didn't have it. Like, I'm working from, I'm at work from 6.30 all the way, 6.30 a.m. all the way to, like, 7 p.m. I go home, eat, sleep, do it all over again, right? Like, it became like that. And the only day I didn't really work like that was Sundays because we couldn't work Sunday. So, like, it was just crazy. But, yeah, like, those are sacrifices. But that overtime part, I did that for, like, of the 11 months, I did that for, like, five or six of the 11 months. So that was, like, the last six months. I was like, all right, we'll have to take advantage of this opportunity and really push it. But it's just like anything else. Like, if someone gotten a college degree before, I know they can make the sacrifice to do it. They just have to want it. Right? If somebody has achieved anything, 
I know that they can achieve getting their finances in order or whatever else that they want to do that's going to require sacrifice because they've done something before that required sacrifice. But usually because the financial process is an area where a lot of people aren't, I guess, strong in or never really learned about, I wasn't really strong in it either. I just I got a finance degree, but the finance they taught me was all jacked up. Like I learned the what I teach people now is basic common street finances, the, fin- the finances that your grandma would teach you, you know, and like, you know, save for a rainy day, don't go into debt, like do a budget, like stuff like that. They didn't teach me with my finance degree. They taught me how to manage a bank or leverage debt and all this other stuff, right? And so that really, and how to look at the stock market, like that's not going to help the person who's living paycheck to paycheck. Now that right there is really surprising because I figured finance was everything, but it sounds to me like the same way we're not taught how to do taxes and, and things like that, it's it happened at a collegiate level. That's that's pretty disappointing, actually, to know that. Yeah. <laughs> like you have to think about it too, though, right? Like these colleges, like they they get funded. These get, they get funded by these big corporations. They get funded by, um, you know, like for example, at, I went to Georgia Southern University, and mm-hmm. you have like <laughs> whose house? Our house? Okay, I'm sorry. I went to Georgia Southern too, so you know. I did not know until you said woo-woo. I was like, yes. That's- you already know. The real GSU. Shout out to State, but still. The real GSU. The real right. one. I don't even call I call Georgia. I tell Georgia State to sit down every time they try to throw up GSU letters. But anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what's that? Coca-Cola, like, sponsors a room at the campus, right? Chick-fil-A sponsors another room on the campus, right? So it's just like you have these corporations, so it's like big banks that come and hire from these schools. Like their 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 mission is really to you know when you have an uneducated group of people, when it comes to finances, you can manipulate them. They don't have power because the power right now is in your dollars. Like yeah, we we have power in our voice and our actions and our vote, but the real power on a daily basis is in your dollars, right? And so if we don't know what we're doing with our money and we just every two weeks we get paid and we give it to so and so, or we give it to Nike or we give it to you know, whoever our landlord is, and we live check to check or Sally Mae, we're never going to really touch and get in touch with our power and our dollars to kind of build that life that we want instead of live the life that somebody else wants that's already built for us. Right. You just spoke a word. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because, no, seriously, because, I mean, it's so much going on with, like, the talk of cryptocurrency, and I totally get it. And, again, I'm not a finance person. I'm not – a a Shannon, so I don't really know 100%, but to me, I don't know if that's really a good idea to be getting hyped up over cryptocurrency when you have $50,000 in debt. Man, can you say that again? Can you just preach the word? Good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Like, for real, like, that, that, I literally, like, it's it's something that's mind-boggling to me um, because, we're so, and again, this ties to the whole instant gratification. We're all excited about, oh man, I can make, I can get rich and be a millionaire off of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, whatever ones that are out there, right? But we don't think about, oh, I could be a millionaire if I just paid off all my debts and started saving money. Touche. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like we we want the instant what's hot right now in the streets because everybody's talking about it versus what's going to work and guaranteed proven if you just take care of it. And it might take you a little longer, but you do the long-term, old-school route of cleaning up my debt and starting to build wealth and, you know, own everything that's in my possession and start accumulating money and investing, 
when you have money, then you're going to be all right. But don't be broke out here living check to check with $100,000 in debt, including your car and student loans, and then trying to find money to go buy Bitcoin. That's backwards. I'm not going to lie. I was interested in it, too. But then I thought about it, and I was like, bro, I have not paid these student loans. I don't know if this <laughs> is the right time for me. And it sucks because you, like, get FOMO, and you're like, oh, damn, I'm about to miss out on something that's going to be really dope. But it's kind of like it's a lesson where you should have had your stuff together. The whole point is to right. be, get ready and prepare for the opportunity versus trying to force an opportunity sometimes. I'm not saying those that's investing are forcing because everybody's situation is different. But I know for me, right. I just would have been forcing the issue if I was trying to invest with that. Right, and you just said something beautiful. Right, absolutely. You just said something beautiful right there. Give your, create the environment where you're financially healthy, so when the opportunity pops up, you can take advantage of it. That's what if you if everyone did that, we'd be in a better place, right? Like, that's the goal. Like for you to have that, you know, awareness to see that. That's the point. Like, I mean, for example, we talked about from paychecks to power. If I had not been in the position to even think about financially to even prepared to publish, to self-publish a book, I wouldn't have been able to do it, right? Like, it's just one of those things that you might not see where, how getting your money right is going to help you until the opportunity falls into your lap or it's presented to you like, ah, this is what I'm supposed to use this $10,000 for. Now, going backwards with the um, budget, you said, you know, grandmama's finance, basically, in terms of, you know, save for a rainy day, do a budget. You have an app called the Soci, is it Soci Budget app? Mhm. Yeah, so um this is interesting. So I was literally about to touch on it but I didn't, but here we are, we're here now. So plus your budget app, um again, we just talked about opportunities, right? This was kinda like me getting my ducks in a row, stacking up money, you know, creating an opportunity for whatever happens and so the social budget app is an app that I kinda um one day just kinda hit me. Um so it was an idea. I was I, I use a lot I've been using budgeting apps before. But then I also, fitness-wise, I've been using, like, the Fitbit app, right? So in tracking my, my, you know, my fitness and keeping up with steps with friends and, you know, competing or whatnot, I was like, man, like, what if we could, you know, make finances fun where you can compete with your friends like this in the Fitbit? So that's what I did. The Social Budget app is literally an app where you do your budget, but within the budget, there are different challenges. Like within the app, there's different challenges where you can compete with your friends. Like it could be a, a no restaurant week challenge. There could be um, uh, the financial, the budget showdown. Whoever sticks to their budget better will win the trophy, and you can brag and boast and earn. You have like a trophy case where you can earn different badges and awards. And if you do like ten budgets in a row, you get like a badge or a sticker within your trophy case. Like there's a whole bunch of cool stuff within there. Um, but yeah, that kind of is where it came about, and um, so I'm grateful now. Definitely, um, it's only on the iPhone right now. I'm still working with the users who are using it and trying to iron out the kinks, of course, but it's been successful. It works. But that was, again, positioning myself for the opportunity, like, to have money set aside to be able to work on this project. Was I able to invest in Bitcoin? No, but I was I was able to build my own app, so that was kind of like my opportunity, right? So um, it's just very interesting. But, yeah, that's the social budget app. And it's on the App Store, right? Yeah, it's on the App Store, and it's on only on iPhone right now. Working to have it for the Droid, hopefully um, next summer. It's just a whole different platform, so a lot more technical. I can understand that. I mean, you know, if you're gonna floss and flex and talk about how better we are at something, 
I don't see a problem with doing it for budgeting. <laughs> so right. I think that's a really good idea. If you're going to floss, floss with a purpose. So I feel with it. I think that's a great idea. Right. As, right. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And the cool thing is, too, like, people can't see your financial numbers. Like, all we can see is, like, it's like, it's like, it's just like meters. And so, like, if we're competing for the restaurant challenge, you spend $10 in restaurants, I spend 20 You can't tell exactly how much I made, but the meter will tell you who spent more than who. Does that make sense? Ah, I like that. Confidential. Yeah. Right. You know, everybody don't yeah, like admitting they broke. Everybody act like they got it. So. Right. 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 <laughs> so this is a good idea. You can confidentially hold yourself accountable. You can kick it with your friends on the app. Y'all don't need to know each other's numbers, but y'all can at least, right. you know, know who's doing better. So that thing that's 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 really yeah. dope. Now you also have another. Well, I appreciate uh, that. You're welcome. You have a 31-day financial detox, right? Right. So what's interesting is that this detox is actually an entire chapter in my book. Um, I help people. Um, what I try to do is every year, you know, like literally extract this chapter from the book and do it like live for the community. Everybody can participate. It's on. Usually it's driven by social media, of course. Um, but it's an opportunity for people to really detox themselves and reset financially. Um, you know, we go through we go through food detox, we go through social media detox. With your finances you need to detox as well. I mean just especially coming off the holidays, everybody's blowing money. We done Black Friday it out. We're looking for Christmas tree, you know, Christmas gifts to put under the tree. It's time to reset and start the year off right. Um so that's what usually the financial detox. Usually it's I, I started every January just so people can have a fresh start to their year. That's a really good concept. How do um, people sign up for the detox? Is it something that you like a website or? Right. So, well, right now it's just it's based, actually based in Facebook. So what you got to do is go to the From Paychecks to Power group. Just search for it, From Paychecks to Power. There's a group there, and just join the group. You can literally just, you know, ask to join the group, and I'll add you. But, yeah, so, and in there there's, a bunch of people already in there, ready to get started. People getting their budgets right, getting ready, um, trying to position themselves to have a better year from 2018. I'm excited. I'm excited too. I'm really curious. And for those again who may have not caught the name of the book, can you tell us the name of the book again? Oh, so the name of the book is From Paychecks to Power: The Seven Power Moves to Unlock Wealth Building. But short, From Paychecks to Power, and you can find it everywhere. Okay. For those who are completely just new, where exactly can they get the book? Oh, so you can get the book on my website, which is from com, and you can also get it on Amazon. Okay. Now, what is the is there a specific goal with the 31-day financial detox? Is it just to get a better organization of your budget? Is it more subjective in terms of um, personal, I guess, per client needs? Or is it, I guess, to give you a better awareness of what you're wasting your money on? Or is it save a specific amount of money or what? Um, so it's a little bit of all of the above, right? So the 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 one is that it allows you to see where your money's going. Um, two, it allows you to see how much you make and versus like how much you really need versus your wants, right? Because the the financial detox ultimately you're detoxing away from the things that you don't need in life, right? So. They're in the detox. There's no restaurants. There's no movie entertainment at all, right? No shopping, right? Like no no extras. All your necessities, and that's it. You're paying your rent. You're buying food for yourself. Grocery shopping, um, you know, cooking your food. 
uh, what's that? And you know, covering your gas, your insurance, all the other stuff, all your necessities, your have to bills, but nothing extra, right? So this literally forces people to be like, wow, I might make them. Somebody might make three thousand dollars a month, four thousand dollars a month, and at the end of the month, I might have an extra stack because they're like, wow, I didn't spend any money on restaurants, I didn't, you know, go shopping at the mall, I didn't go to whatever, you know, movies or concerts or whatever. So now they got money. And so that allows people to see that. And then also, it, you, it, when that happens, it just causes people to really think that, wow, I can do better, right? And that's one of, one of the big reasons for this detox is to kind of give people a chance to realize that they can do better and, one, do better financially and feel better spiritually because there's a weight lifted off your shoulders when you feel like you can actually own your money. Most people feel like their money is owning them. When you feel like you can get in control of your dollars, it changes the whole game. You're right. It's, it's definitely, I think the cold part about our generation is that we were given a harder deck of cards, but we're expected to still achieve on the level of our parents. Like I've heard a lot of discussions where people are saying, why you don't have a house yet? When I was your age, I had a house. You know, I had this going on. You know, I was able to do this, that, and the third. And it's like, okay, well, you know, the, the debt ratio per person for your generation may not necessarily be the same as ours. And again, I know Shannon, but it just it seems like this society is geared towards acquiring debt all across the board, whether you're in school, whether you're an adult. It's just all about uh, having more, 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 which obviously is going to lead to more debt at some point. Right, right. And, I mean, I, I agree with you. The, the environment is definitely different. Um, it's definitely more promoted and more acceptable to have all this debt than back when our parents were growing up. I mean, just think about it. Most of us now, or people who are graduating from college, have enough debt to have a mortgage already. Like, why am I going to buy a house and I already got $100,000 in student loans? I could have bought me a condo or a house or wherever else, right? So it, 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 when you, so, and this, I know, you know, Spiritual Girl podcast has some spiritual aspects. So think about this. I was literally um, just studying a quote in Islam, and it says, uh, an imam that I know, um, his name is Imam Abdullah. He teaches at Duke University, I believe. But he said that debt is the vehicle for spiritual disease. Oh, I like that one. I was like, wow. Like, And you know me, I'm in the world of, from paychecks to power. I was just never able to put it in words. But when he said that, I was like, my brother, you just found, you just have, you get, that's a golden nugget right there. Like, that is real. That's the perfect way to put it. It's a vehicle for spiritual disease because you compare that with the aspect of the Bible where it says, Proverbs 22 7, the borrower is slave to the lender. Yeah. Well, dang. I, I see where the spiritual aspect is because now when I go to work, I ain't working for myself and my family. I'm working to pay Bank of America. Right. And so now the, spirit, the spiritual disease aspect is, okay, well, maybe I might cheat a little bit. I might steal a little bit to mm-hmm. do what I got to do to pay this debt back. You know, I might sell a little bit of drugs so I can pay this debt back. I might, you know, you you, you start getting corrupted on the inside, and that's really seriously deep. Even from a, a chakra standpoint, you know, like the, the seven, even though there's more than seven chakras and there's different chakras that are recognized by different thought processes in, um, in certain religions, even from a chakra standpoint, the lower cell chakras, which are anything below the heart, so the root, the sacral, and the solar plexus, not having your ducts in a row, 
that's dealing with insecurity and instability, which is your root, like how you are able to move in this earth comfortably and securely. Right. When you're not right financially, hmm. it, it, it fucks with you on that, even with the personal power aspect. If you're feeling burdened by debt, it affects your self-esteem. Even with your creativity and expression, even if you want to go do something outside of the nine to five that you have, if you're buried in debt, that's a cause that can throw that off too as well. You don't want to create nothing because you're stuck in a rut because you feel like you're a slave for somebody else or the man or the system or what what have you, the right. plantation. But, it, you know, right. that, that can affect on so many levels. No matter how you slice it, it's a spiritual disease indeed. Right, man, that's that's real. Like that's real. Like it does. It literally weighs on you. I'll never forget when I when I made that last student loan payment, and it said on my on the when I logged into my account, it said paid in full. Like it felt like, and I became Michael Jordan. Like I could just jump through the roof of my my my, my uh through the bank. I was like, man, like, this is amazing. Like I skipped out the bank. Like the first time I ever skipped walking out the bank. <laughs> that's how I felt when I paid my car off. I, I totally feel you. I paid my car off and was, I was low-key angry because I knew how much I paid on the back end with interest, and that, that really sucked. Right. I had to work and pay that off. I, I worked lots of overtime the same way, and I was fed up. When I paid that, I called him. I said, don't y'all call me no more. The car paid. They <laughs> said, what are you talking about, Miss Gates? I said, no, no, no. I said, I done made a payment five minutes ago. We done. Family. Right. So, I understand. That's right. That's <laughs> I understand. Right. <laughs> I had, like he was a boyfriend. I quit you. We good. We done. I'm not right. It was over. <laughs> it's over forever. Don't call me no more. I'm a black. That's right. <laughs> but Shannon, I understand you have your own accounting firm. Tell us about that. Yeah. So me and a friend of mine, um, her name is uh, Rashida, but we started our own accounting slash tax business called Premium Accounting and Tax Services, uh, where we kind of help people file their taxes. Um, we're both CPAs, so you're getting like top-notch quality for fair prices. Um, right now, the business is only like being spread like word of mouth. Like we don't literally, we don't go out and chase people. Like people literally have done their taxes with us. They go tell somebody else and tell their entire family, and that's how we build our clientele. But like we help people with filing their taxes, um, I guess tax advising, and then also like uh, you know bookkeeping and things like that for small businesses or whatnot. So yeah, we work with small businesses, individuals. Um, what else? We work with uh, people like we have, like it's amazing nonprofits. Um, we even have people who are in like in the film industry who are our clients. Like it's pretty dope stuff. Like I've been introduced to a lot of people doing this work, so I'm grateful. Understood. What is the name of your firm again? If people if people want to find you, Premium Accounting Tax Services. That is great. Look at this. Like just young millennial business, young millennial black business. It's just awesome. Right, black owned businesses out here trying to help provide services for. You know what's crazy too? I think. 100% of our clients are black. That's amazing. I didn't even realize that. Wow, that is. That, that definitely yeah, is. Yeah. Literally. You know, one thing, too, I know this is kind of random. One thing I learned about being in business is that people want to do business with people who look like them. If you're, not, if you're a black person who has a business that you want to bring and create, create it. People want to do business with you, but you ain't put it out there yet. So get your money right so you can put it out there. <laughs> right. <laughs> I understand. It is right. comforting just about, like, representation and familiarity. So I actually understand that logic. I do. I mean, even in other communities, you do see that. You do see Asian yeah. neighborhoods yeah. have Asian doctors, they have Asian lawyers, they have Asian, um, um, like, insurance companies, just like with Latinos, same thing. I, I look, I go on Beaver Highway, and I see an entire strip, five miles of right. nothing but Latino-owned right. businesses. 
So I definitely understand completely. Absolutely. And I'm not trying to, you know, I'm I'm very inclusive. I support everybody. You know, I'm like, everybody should be successful. But at the same time, like, one thing that I learned is that when I started my first, I guess, business from Paychecks to Power, you know, I was very, I guess, open to help everybody, which I still am. But when you start realizing that 99% of the people that you work with look like you, it's like, all right, well, clearly my people want to do business with me and yeah. other people don't. And so it's just kind of like, okay, and that's fine, you know, so it's just accepting it. Now, granted, I do have some clients who aren't or, like, actual institutions that have literally no racial face, but at the same time, like, you, I've just learned and experienced and seen what my client base looks like, and that's when I learned, like, okay, Shanon, your people need your help. It's time to go work. I love that. It sounds like if there's purpose with, with – uh Paychecks to power. That really makes me happy. It's like passion and purpose and paychecks to power. All these P's. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's good. I'm really happy um, to hear that. So congratulations with everything that you got going on. And I know that, you know, if you are already on the go with all of these other um, projects that you have, I can only imagine what the next year or two years is going to do for paychecks to power. It sounds like this is going to be a really dope financial lifestyle um, brand all across the board. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm excited. I can't wait. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want people to know about Paychecks to Power or um, any other services or products that you have or just who you are? Honestly, just, I mean, if you want to, you can follow me on social media. My name is Shanon Dowda. Um, I have my own platform. But also from Paychecks to Power also has an Instagram page, and you can find me on LinkedIn too. So Paychecks, the number two, Power on Instagram. That's where a lot of financial tips, advice and then myself is my name, Shannon Dowda, all together. But honestly, words of advice or tips, I would say, honestly, you deserve better than where you are right now. When it comes to your money, it could also be your health, your relationship, but you deserve greatness. And if your money, if you literally can look at your finances and say that they are weighing you down, it's time to do something different. You weren't born to be a financial slave. You weren't born to go live to go build Tom's dream instead of your own dream. You were born to go do great things. And a lot like spiritual homegirl said, your creativity, your your confidence, your boldness is limited, is being limited right now because you got that car note, because you got the student loans. You ain't going to quit your job and go be great because you don't want to risk not having the money to pay for those things and get repoed or lose your house or lose your, you know, or get your, your gar- wages garnished because of the student loans. You literally have to at some point decide that you're going to be great and use your money that you got right now that's coming in to work for you instead of against you. Again, another word. (laughs) (laughs) So for those who may not be great spellers, how do you spell your name to find you? Gotcha. Um, So my name is S-H-A-N-N-A-A-N, last name, Dowda, D-A-W-D-A. All right, y'all heard it, Mr. Shanon Dowder. And this was this week's interview with certified public accountant, author, entrepreneur, and financial advisor, Shanon Dowder. I hope you guys learned something. I always learn things when I interview guests, so I learn stuff just as like the same way y'all do. So I really enjoy uh, bringing guests on to share their perspectives because we all learn something, myself included. Um, also, if you need to get in touch with me, you can do so at spiritualhomegirl.com. Um, for those who were listening to last week's episode, I am doing a new 
blog posts every week where I talk about something that I'm not discussing on social media or YouTube. Um, this week's post, I won't necessarily give it all away, but it's about how I was rendered. Well, one of my bodily functions was rendered useless for about five hours. And I had to really think about how we take for granted certain things. And the thought it was interesting. So <laughs> it's nothing graphic or vulgar, but I just want to share that. Um, also, if you need to find me on Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube, it's Spiritual Homegirl, as well as Twitter at Spirit Homegirl. I'm so excited about this yoga event. I decided we're going to keep it real small to 25 people, if that. The location will be announced very shortly. I'm really excited to do something really fun with y'all and bring my girl Miniature Yogi. I, well, I call her Dree, but Miniature Yogi on Instagram. She's awesome. Uh, she's a really good example of what being a yogi is about. It's not about being some super duper guru. It's about knowing your walk and being authentic and where you stand with that as you learn and grow. It's not just a trend. It's a way of life, you know, in terms of yoga. But with her, I just think that, you know, she's a really good example of what it what it means to be a yogi and, and how yoga has changed her life. So I want to bring that to y'all. So we will all be chopping it up sooner than later next month. It's going to be on a Sunday. So we just got to get the day finalized and we are good to go. Again, it's only going to be for 25 people. So if you're in the Atlanta area, once some tickets go up, go ahead and get you some. Go ahead and bring a friend. We'll be having gifts for those who buy a ticket. So don't worry, you're going to get a little bit more. Then a session. I got you. I wouldn't be the homegirl if I didn't have you. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that is it, y'all. I didn't want to hold y'all. This has been another episode of the Spiritual Homegirl Podcast. My name is Maria. And remember, trust the journey and trust yourself. Peace. <laughs>